We're starting a new sermon series that I'm not sure any of us like yet, but we're getting there, right? And uh, the series has to do with five things I wish I knew about following Jesus. So the premise is this. We don't grow up knowing everything, right? We learn things as we grow, as we experience things. There are certain things about following Jesus that I really wish someone would have helped walk me through when I was in my teens, my 20s, my 30s, yesterday, right? We have these experiences that we don't really talk about because they're kind of awkward and we're not sure they're good or not or if I'm going to get hit by lightning if we talk about them in church. So, so what we're going to do over the next five weeks is we're really going to break down five basic helps to help each of us in our walk with Jesus. And one of the main things we're going to discover today is that that walk with Jesus was never really designed to be a solo walk. So for those of us who know what I'm saying, the unfortunate truth that I wish I'd have known about following Jesus is that you got to follow Jesus with other humans. I wish someone would have told me and helped me understand a little bit sooner than now that all Christians don't get along. And that's okay. So where am I going with this? I, I was looking for a great new scripture, a great new passage. You know, we're coming out of this three-week series, hanging out in the Gospel of Matthew, around the parable of the prodigal son. Well, God didn't even let me get off the page. So we're staying right next to there, Matthew 18, coming right after these stories of the lost sheep and the prodigal son. Read along with me, if you would, on the screen. Not out loud. Just in your heart, or else it's going to get really confusing. All right. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell the person. Work it out between the two of you. If that person listens, you've made a friend. If that person won't listen, take on two, take, I think take one or two others, or just take them on. I don't think that's exactly what the scripture was saying at all. And now I'm lost. All right. Take one or two others along with you so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest. Try again. If that person still won't listen, tell the church. If that person won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront that person again with that need for repentance. Why is this important? And offer again God's forgiving love. Take this most seriously. And this is Jesus rattling this off here. So we best listen. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. When two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. Would you pray with me this morning? Gracious God, we come to you from many different places, many different hometowns, many different families of origin, many, many different church experiences that all wind and weave into the story that is us being together right now. We also come to you at different times during the week 
checking in online to be a part of this wider community that doesn't really have a beginning and an end in time. What we ask is right now, as we're in this space, in this moment, whenever that might be, and especially right now, help us to listen. Help us to not be alone. Help us to find that word, that fresh wind that we just sang about. And Lord, we know that with every fresh wind, every new word from your spirit, every life-transforming, powerful moment comes a lot of fear. A lot of resistance, a lot of tension, a lot of conflict. We sang it. We're praying it. Two or more are gathered here in this moment, and we invite you to make us uncomfortable. Remind us of things that we have done. Remind us of things that we have walked away from and left undone. And most importantly, remind us through your holy word that we share in now. That our stories are just really beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. If a fellow believer hurts you. So I grew up pretty isolated. My name is Steve, by the way, in case we didn't catch that in the whole kids get back here right now thing that was going on. Um, I grew up on a farm about two and a half, three hours north of here, depending on who's driving. And I went to a country school, if you can believe that. Those were still in existence. So I was the only kid in my class till junior high. We had about maybe eight or ten of us, K through seven, in the, in the Tolstoy Community School. And right across from that was a Tolstoy church. And a block down the road was my grandma's house that had cable, one of the first in the area. So it was a really interesting existence, right? And one thing that I learned very clearly in the culture of my hometown was if there is tension, if there is struggle, if there is disagreement, go somewhere else and don't talk about it. Okay, anyone else grow up in the small town that I grew up in? I got a lot of, a lot of exasperated nods. Yeah. But it's a cultural piece, right? It's a, it's a part of that German-Russian vibe where I grew up, and it's a part of lots of cultures in the Midwest and those that have immigrated and came to and from the Midwest. Silence is holiness, right? Peace is proof that we're on the right track. Those seem to be theological God statements where I grew up. Well, like I said, we're doing this sermon series because we want everyone to be fully prepared to live out these things we're singing about, these things that we're talking about. We don't want you to just be prepared to know when to run away. We want you to be prepared to engage your faith in the real world from this hour and all the other, oh, I already forgot the math of it. Anybody remember 167 and a half? What was the, how many hours in a week are there? Those ones, right? Every one of those is just as important as this one. To engage in those the way God has created us to and Jesus desires us to as we follow him, we got to wrestle with some of these unlearnings that I'm, we're, ta- we're starting with today. There's a very important quote Um, I'll let you guess whether it's scriptural or not. Have you ever heard, to be forewarned is to be forearmed? Everybody look at your forearm. What does that have? No. 
It's a different way of using the word. To be forewarned means you're prepared, right? And it sounds like something Jesus would have said, but it was actually Miguel Cervantes. But a lot of people have claimed that quote is their own. To be forewarned, to know what's coming, helps us prepare for action and response in a moment of tension, in a moment of fear, right? To be prepared helps us not flee, but to remain and to stay in what matters in those moments. I was not forewarned the first time I experienced church conflict. So we're in our small church, and I'll change some of the names because we have online now, so everybody's going to, you know, I'll just change the first letter and we'll see if they watch today. No. Um, I remember very vividly we had these wooden pews. So raise your hand if you grew up in a wooden pews situation. Okay, and every, every family had their place. Okay, my place was by my grandma, my aunt, and whoever else was going. My mom and dad were organists, so there was always kind of some flow to the day. And I remember very specifically one morning that a family that usually sat around us but not next to us was suddenly next to us. And about five minutes before the service, I heard for the first time an elevated, slightly perturbed voice in the sanctuary. And as this person was talking to my dad in an elevated, very, very tense way, that was the first time I learned that churches have committees. Anyone ever been on a church committee? Like this stuff doesn't just magically happen, right? We, we get together, we assign people to lead us and to guide the mission of the church and to decide what to do, how to spread our offerings and mission to the world. Well, we had made a decision and a change in who's going to mow the churchyard. I didn't know anybody mowed the churchyard, but we had made a decision in about, do we pay someone? Do we volunteer? And I got to experience firsthand what happens when somebody feels like they haven't been heard. So I was pretty sure five minutes before the service, we were going to call the whole thing right there, right? Like, okay, these... People are talking excited. I've never seen my dad this agitated this early in the morning. Like, somebody ring the bell. This situation's over. We'll get back next week. But we kept worshiping. The second experience I want to talk about was when I was a student appointee. So I was 22, maybe. I'm in some rural churches outside of Rockford, Illinois. And... Uh, didn't know any clue what I was doing, but I knew I was preaching that day, and then I was teaching Sunday school afterwards, and this small church, kind of like the one I grew up in, similar culture, similar vibe, they were trying to decide, how do we respond to the fact that this town might go from 90 people to 1,000 people in a couple years? And I don't... You can probably imagine, having lived in Mitchell and the surrounding communities, there are a variety of responses to how do you respond to that, right? Everything from build a nice fence to build some buildings so they can come live there, right? The whole gamut of emotions was there. But that Sunday morning was the first time I ever heard it talked about in a church. We got out, we went to the fellowship hall, I'm just prepping my lesson, you know, I'm like, is this scissors too sharp for children's church? Is it just, you know, it was kind of sketchy at times, depending on which box came in that Sunday. And they had the plans that the lead team at the church was going to talk about that week. And it was plans for a new addition. First addition in like 60 years to this church. 
And this new edition had a missional focus for everyone who's not here yet. And it was exciting. Like talking to the people that were leading the church, there was energy around this. There was hope around this. There was Jesus' hands and feet all over this. And a gentleman who I'd never seen at church before was there because there was a church meeting going on. And he came up to me while I was looking excitedly and pointing at this map and this new edition, and he said, over my dead body. Over my dead body will those people come here. This church is going to be this church the way it is, or I'm gone. My first impulse was to say, I didn't invite you. Have fun on your way out. I learned early on that's not an appropriate way to respond as a pastor in ministry. Some of you know I have not always carried to that learning in my life. But that was the first time I'd ever heard anyone. We're all excited. We're all right there. And I felt the spirit leave the room. Everything we were just singing about in that last song is real. And we absolutely have the ability to chase it away with our words, with our hearts. Was that the perfect way to spend money to build this edition? Was that exactly what God wanted? We'll never know. There is no perfect. Was it in line with the mission of the body of Christ that was in that place 100%? And in that moment, I was taken right back to that first conflict I had felt, which said, ding the bell, this place is going to close. We need to all scatter and find new places because this feels icky and I don't want to be here. Bring out the pointy scissors, kids. It's about to get real. No, I, didn't say, I also learned in seminary not to say that out loud, just under your breath. Um, but we were at this fork in the path, right? This moment, missional moment where the conflict emerged. There's one more example I want to give. And this one's more recent. Believe it or not, I've been in pastoral ministry for 20 years now. And over and over, I've experienced honest-to-goodness adult-level conflict where someone will come to me and say, my significant other needs to go to jail today. Pastor, what do we do? Okay, there's no book for that. Somebody comes to me and says, I'm leaving so-and-so. Here's the reason it's irreconcilable. What do you say? You know, now we've kind of blown past the who's going to mow the lawn situation, right? Which of a hundred good solutions could we choose to further the mission of the church? Now we're in a place of something's going to break whether we want it to or not. Anyone ever been in a position like that in your life? I know we all have. Kids have, youth have, collegians have, right? We've all been there. I wish someone would have told me that that's okay. That's not a mark that Jesus has left the building. That's not a mark that we're on the wrong path. That's a mark that the Holy Spirit wants to lean in. When things get serious and tense and problematic, the odds are pretty good that growth is about to happen. Transformation is about to happen. Salvation and redemption are about to happen. 
I wish someone would have told me to stay there and not just bail. One of the things I want to do again is just reread this from a different perspective. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If they will not listen, take one or two, not take on, take one or two others along. So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, listen, hasn't said nothing about changing yet, right? Our only goal is like listening to each other, Jesus says. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So pagans were anybody who didn't believe in God. Tax collectors, we all have our versions of what that means, right? They were not people to be associated with in Jesus' day in the church. Funny thing about Jesus, though, if you go to the internet to figure out what does that verse mean, treat them as tax collectors and as pagans. 98% of the search results going on in the world right now, if you type that in, they're going to tell you it means write them off, shun them, excommunication, remove them from your community, they are a virus. But there's that 1% that have actually, I believe, read the scriptures. Jesus got in trouble most often for one thing, and it involved this stuff that we're about to share in together. He would often be found eating with the mayor, the richest guy in town. The, no. Who was he hanging out with? Pagans. Tax collectors. So at the very end, at this moment when the world is shouting for us right now to write them off, break them off, seal them away, our scripture today is saying, at your wit's end, go have lunch. This whole them coming to worship thing might not be real positive at the moment, but clear your schedule for Monday morning and go find breakfast. Because just like that one sheep out of the hundred that got lost is worth every energy to go find, this person you're in the most conflict with in your entire life is so loved by Jesus that it's worth changing your life to find them, to speak with them, to break bread with them. The word get along itself is interesting. As we put this next slide, what does it mean to get along with each other in Jesus' name? And get along has two meanings in the dictionary. The first one is kind of the kumbaya, everybody holding hands and singing together, and we all love every decision we make together. We've never disagreed, right? That one doesn't exist in the world. And it probably never will if you read Scripture until we get to that eternity we're singing about. 
But what does exist in Scripture is Jesus talks about getting along like the cowboy song, okay? Get along, little doggies, get along. Anybody ever sing that this morning? Just me? Okay. I thought of that as I saw the people running in various stages of exasperation around the lake this morning, and their marathon was like, you see the people cheering them on and looking at their watches like, "Eh, I got some place to go. Get along, little dog. No. Jesus talks about getting along in his parables and his scriptures and in his life. Like that song. Not a kumbaya, we're all going to always agree all the time, but more of we gotta, we're called to move together with Jesus because Jesus is on the move and we're called to follow. So if you're stuck in some conflict that you can't get over, Jesus isn't waiting for you there. If I've broken away from something because I didn't want to deal with it, Jesus is not waiting for me back there. We're called to get along with Jesus, and that means moving along with each other. Keeping pace with Jesus. Staying connected to where Jesus is going. And in our Gospels, and in each of those situations I raised up, the good news of Jesus Christ is always about reconciliation. If we find ourselves on our Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, hanging back on how we've been wronged, that good news gets further and further away. The reality of that moment in my home church was that those people involved, including my dad, kept coming. They didn't agree for several weeks, but they kept worshiping together. And I think about how my life would have been different if that friend of the family had left. There were so many times growing up I needed him and he was there. He stayed in that tension. And so did my dad. And that's good news. I don't even know how the story of the new building plan turned out. I don't know if that man left the church. I don't know if Everybody's hope being diminished that day spread. I, I know they did things. They moved forward. They got along with Jesus and the missional goals of that community. I do often wonder what would have happened if instead of fleeing to my pointy scissors with the kids, I could have just stayed and listened to try to understand where he was coming from. Like maybe my posture of having an open ear and saying, wow, this sounds really important to you. Why? Like what's going on? Like why are we so different on seeing the the good news of what's happening here? I got to trust that the rest of my brothers and sisters stood in the gap where I did not. And I rest in the forgiveness of Jesus the same. When it comes to these daily breaks, these real adult, true conflicts that face our lives and that we run into day in and day out, I'm reminded especially today that agreement was never the goal. But communion is. 
There's never going to be a time where everybody in this room or watching online agrees with every decision the leadership of Fusion makes as a church. There's never going to be a time where everybody agrees with whatever the preacher is preaching, right? There's never going to be a time where everybody in youth group gets along with everybody else in youth group. There's never going to be a time that a children's church leader says, sit still, please, and they all do, right? There's never going to be that time. Tearing our volunteer list just dramatically dwindled, but we're going to get to that. By the end of this series, hopefully you'll see the truth in that. And that's exactly where Jesus gets awesome. Those moments where we can't are exactly the moments where Jesus does take over. And friends, as we get ready to celebrate this on World Communion Sunday, this day literally designed every October to remind us that no matter how many churches, denominations, and scattered places we have, we're following in the same Savior. And we're doing our best. And the only way we can ever get to where Jesus calls us is together. So my last question is, what brings you to the table today? What brings you to this sharing in what Jesus offered a group of his followers, one who was turning him in to be killed the night that he broke this bread, a few that were squabbling over leadership positions the night he broke this bread, a few that had other priorities that they were questioning if they could maybe skip out on a few things Jesus wanted to do when they broke this bread. Maybe you're at Fusion today or listening in because you just got booted from a community of faith over one of the things we were talking about today. Maybe you're at this table today to check the credentials of who else is in line with you to make sure this is a 100% perfect and holy meal. I've been there too. Maybe you're coming to this table today longing for something you haven't seen in a long time, really feeling like you're not alone, really feeling like you're together with a group of people on a common mission. Or maybe you're especially like me and just really glad this table doesn't have a big old mirror. So you have to think about those three fingers that are always staring back at us when we point at someone else. Whatever brings you to this table today, if you hear nothing else today, every experience when we come together, every time we open the word together, every time we share in worship and in life out in the real world together, is a chance to learn something we didn't know before, to be courageous in a way we maybe shied away from before, to not get stuck in a break or a fight or a misunderstanding that threatens to, to trample the community that God wants for us here and now. That's the kind of grace, the kind of love, the kind of salvation that Jesus Jesus offers us in this table. I'm glad you're here. Amen.